Happy New Year, Dave. Likewise. Let me just put Happy my New Year, on. listeners, huh? Just putting my headphones on to make sure I can hear you. When last we spoke to everybody, it was Christmas Day, so I hope everybody uh, enjoyed themselves. Had a good bit of uh, overindulged. I definitely yes. overindulged. And I hope we were with you when you grew sick of your families and decided to have a little bit of alone time. Yes, definitely. Alone time with us. Uh, let's welcome our guest. What a, what a uh, dream, huh? Sorry? Alone time with us. <laughs> a lot of people would pay a lot of money for oh. that. <laughs> we welcome our guest, Michael Kaiser from Good Beer Hunting. Welcome. Ah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm assuming some of our listeners will know, know your reputation or might even listen to your podcast. I know at least two people do. Um, but do you want to just give us a quick spiel about who you are? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm the founder of Good Beer Hunting. It's a small company based out of Chicago that uh, I do brand strategy and uh, portfolio strategy for breweries mostly, uh, some other craft-oriented businesses, but mostly beer. Uh, we have a, we're mostly well-known for our editorial site, goodbeerhunting.com, uh, where we tell a lot of long-format magazine-style photo essay stories about some of our favorite producers around the country and around the world. And we have seven or eight different uh, contributors at this point, photographers, writers, and it's kind of come into a world of its own. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll unpack uh, all things good beer hunting a little bit further on, but got Let's a couple a of news of a uh, items that uh, I wanted to that cover. caught your attention? Yep. The first one, actually, Dave, you were involved in oh, at Dogfish Head. Yeah. Uh, Sam Calione in town for the sort of first ever Dogfish Head in Australia. How was it? Yeah, it was a cool event. Um, he's just a very passionate dude about the industry in general. So he spent just as much time. Oh, I've had uh, a lovely salad just delivered to me. <laughs> so um, I'll make sure I chew off mic for those of our uh, misophonic listeners that got in touch with us last time. Um, yeah, he's, he spent more, more time trying to pump up businesses that are starting around like Fixation and Bad Shepherd and those mm. sorts of things as, as much as he did talking about the magazine and uh, the, his story in general. So um, he was just genuinely interested in everyone getting around everybody. But uh, I don't know, he's just a charismatic guy and it's just it was out of him and excellent he was off the leash he didn't have his wife with him at our event so he was uh pretty liberal with his storytelling so um that was just a really enjoyable night it was very odd because um it was the whole downstairs bar of the local tap house in st kilda hmm. and they'd sold enough tickets where the whole floor was rows of seating yeah right so um it was very odd because that's a very open area hmm. normally uh and it was very rigid and structured and i hadn't seen it like that before yeah but um how like so many seats were there that I went to I was at the back finding a little wherever I could find a spot and um, I went to the bar to get a beer before it started and I saw the seven cent boys that were sitting next to me in the front row and I said how did you they said it's just empty seats and I went is there more and they said yeah I just front row right in front of the whole the whole thing so um, good hustle yeah but uh, beer wise they had the Midas Touch, which we drank on the show. Hmm. I had a bottle of it. It was probably five years old and well past its prime. It was a little bit musty, I remember there. But completely different. Just vibrant. Uh, the grapes were very, very uh, distinct in that beer. That's a Pinot blend or something? Is that right? Uh, it was an, one of the ancient ales. It was one of the non-hop. from the one with saffron in it? Yeah. Oh, the okay. one that w- was not hopped. Oh, okay. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, with honey, saffron, and... Yeah, quite savory. Ma- yeah, but um, that was delicious. The, they had the 60-minute and the 90-minute IPAs, both of which we've got grey import here before. And uh, indicatively, they, bo- they both tasted better than I've ever had it before. Um, not the kind of IPAs that we've been banging on about, mm. but still uh, wonderfully um, crafted. And the story... I mean, I mean, no one that listens hasn't heard this story, but like, the reason why those beers are so uh, beloved is that when he initially made it, the way he developed the continuously hopping uh, implementation and mm. the actual infrastructure behind it is, I mean, legendary stories now. But um, talking about the little vibrating the football, football game, game yeah. yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, he—I uh, don't know actually. Oh, you don't yeah, know the yeah, story. Yeah, oh, so, <laughs> his theory was rather than having early hops, late hops, how he wanted to just like continually hop the beer through the whole boil process. So the only thing, the only way in mind, he went to like a savers or like an op shop because he knew that there was a 
like a football game where the players would move around the field by vibrating the playing surface. Right. So he got that game and rigged it up and worked out what the angle would be so he could put the hops onto the yeah. surface and it would vibrate and it would regulate <laughs> the, the, the hops during the boil. It's a stroke of genius, really. It really yeah, is. That is uh, and that's why you get that sort of very like gentle... Uh, you don't get a big hit of bitterness. Yeah, yeah. It's a very gentle, hot profile. So um, the, I think the ones I've always had are the grey imports. And of course. Well, look, we very sugary, um, you know, so dull and, and probably died down a bit. So your experience versus the grey, were they nicer, fresh? Yes, definitely. Um, but also the most fun beer they had was the 61-minute IPA, which uh, was a... The story behind that one was that they were a group of friends drinking. One of them was absent. The absent friend uh, always drank... Pinot Noir rather than drinking beer with them. So to honor them, to honor their friend who was absent, they all bought a 60-minute IPA and a glass of Pinot and they had a pour in each of their beers and they drank it and went, that's unbelievable. (laughs) Um, So they made a batch of 60-minute with, I think, Syrah grapes as an addition. Um, And that was delicious. It was, um, it was outstanding. Do you get much dogfish head down here? Is it a common import? It's not coming in. All all just grey import. So... um, Is that a, is this indicative that maybe they're looking at this as a bigger well, market, perhaps? Th- well, they were talking about it on the nights, okay. and I think they're they he wants to do it, yeah. but it's difficult and expensive to yeah, do. I know they're looking for growth right now. It's the first year they've ever not had double digit mm, growth, mm. which is a big deal. So they I don't think it's, it's not going to happen uh, soon, but I think he wants to do it. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that he committed to was a beer for Gabs. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. so. Um, whether he comes down for it or not mm. it's going to be difficult but you know, there'll at least be a dogfish entry That's in, um, I'm sure it'll be a fun festival. beer knowing what they do have to be I guess yeah uh, and the other one that was the, the beer that we f- uh, finished off with was the Festina Lente which they only make 12 kegs worth uh, every year yeah. but it's, uh, it's it's like a sour version of the Festina Pesh which is a blend of ice quite I tart, think. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. Um, but it was great he's very he, he took questions and answered them with great anecdotes yeah. uh, and great good honesties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then he met everyone afterwards and everyone got a little chat and a handshake and a photo. He, he managed to get time to get a photo with you. He did. I know. <laughs> I mean, like, he, it was pretty busy, but I said, look, Sam, I'm heading out. If you want to do this, let's do it right now. Yeah. The funny part is I guarantee he'll remember your name next time he sees you. I don't care if it's three years from now. Really? He, he's like a wizard with that stuff. I can't. Oh. It blows my mind every time. Well, the way even, like, I mean, because they had, um, there were some of the brewers were in there talking to him beforehand uh, and just his ability he just knew everyone's story straight away knew the mm. names knew what yeah. was going on he, was, he just took it all in so there's a real genuine interest he's either got a hell of a memory or he's got somebody that briefs him before he goes into a room <laughs> just like you brief the president on like whose board. hand they're about to shake yeah well just, but I mean it. given that, um, that Mariah wasn't there the pause that he was getting of each of the beers were unbelievable <laughs> so I don't think uh, I think it might just be a, a, a talent that he had but um it was a really fun night, though. A couple of other news things that I wanted to quickly mention. Um, the German government have come out and says, said that brewers can't call milk stout a beer mm. uh, because of the addition of the lactose and the, I don't know, checkered history of German beer, right. uh, um, which I think is interesting. Um, I don't have any more comment, but anyone want to comment on that? No, I, I, yeah. think I thought it was. Yeah. I mean, with, for America, we paid it. It caught our attention because, of course, Stone is in Berlin now trying to make beers. Mm. Um, and you know, while they make plenty of beers that fit within the within the purity laws, they certainly make other types of beers as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting from an American perspective to see how much room he's going to get to play and mm. and how he goes about doing that. Mm. Um, I mean, he's known for changing people's perceptions of things, and yeah. I'm curious to see if that can play out, in a, even in a place as as sort of strict and traditional as Germany. You kind of wonder if they're seeing that as a challenge rather than Oh, yeah. Than I mean, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he was the one that tipped them off just to get it going. <laughs> Brewdog style, he's huh? A, he's a brilliant marketer that way. <laughs> yep. He doesn't spend... He's famous for saying he doesn't spend any money on marketing, but he certainly spends plenty of time on it. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to mention Stone because uh, as a bit of a segue into something else, I was out at a, an American restaurant last night, uh, American Barbecue, and got a stone IPA. That was I felt like a, a big fresh IPA, and that was the only one they had on the menu. Was it just the uh, base? IPA? Yeah, yeah, straight straight IPA. Um, and it was pretty stale. Uh, tasted a bit caramelly and dull. And I think that place had probably been closed over 
Christmas time and, you know, sitting in the keg lines or, or whatever. It wasn't tasting fresh. And I looked at the rest of the, the beer list and it was um, all American beers, but they had things like Cause Light or, you know, PBR or Blue Moon or whatever. And I was kind of disappointed by that because um, you can do that same thing with Australian beers right now. You can get a, you know, if you want to do a low rent beer, you can get a Melbourne Bitter. If you want to do an IPA, you can get a, a pretty good one. But there's no reason to get that and then have me paying premium price for an IPA that's stale. This is an American barbecue kind of theme? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, okay. I think that's the reason. Like, I don't know if it is um, like aimed at the pointy end of our yeah. industry that will take notice of that, but yeah. people go into like, American-style food, they see American labels, that's yeah. probably enough connection that they are going for, if you know yeah, what I mean. Sure. Yeah, Whether definitely. that's good like, or not is uh, not... Yeah, and I, I, think mean, it, I don't think I mean, so. It reminds me of some places in Chicago that are, you know... They're Indian food restaurants, and they have you know the Kingfisher or something yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're paying a premium for that because it's part of the overall theme. Yeah, yeah. Um, ultimately, probably not that compelling, but yeah. it would be almost anachronistic for them to have an American idea yeah, there yeah. or something, you know. And so I, they're just kind of trying to stick to an idea, I guess. I guess the counterpoint to that is they, those places generally have Australian wines, Australian and New Zealand wines as their wine yeah. list. Um, so I've always found that I guess an interesting. Hmm. Um, it sounds a bit like a shtick. Yeah, yeah. Anything. yeah. Um, and then, you know, sitting there with a, a pretty dull IPA is <laughs> was a bit of a letdown. I did have a Sierra Nevada Nuna after that, and that was tasting really yeah, good. So, go. yeah, I can't go wrong with that. I've been impressed to see how much Sierra Nevada there is in Melbourne in general. They were probably the ones that broke the ground yeah. to move into Australian market. And, yeah, yeah they've done really well. Um, their beers hold up yeah. really well over here. and Makes me feel good to see it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And we, last show, were singing their praises just because I think they've stayed true to who they are yeah. while just making really great beer yeah. for, for a long time. Well, I think that was... I think we were talking about um, them versus Dogfish Head where mm. their profile in the pointier end seems to have waned away mm. with Dogfish Head, mm. but Sierra Nevada just continues to grow because of the way they go about it. Mm. They're always keeping fresh in the mind of everyone, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh, Bavarian Beer Cafe was another note that I had down. Did you say this? Bavarian Beer Cafe? Bavarian beer cafe so they do Munich you know those German style beer halls yeah. I should have said that into the German news it's terrible oh, I can't believe you did um, <laughs> they are coming out saying they're going to do a craft beer range as part of their offering at their at their beer halls um, and it's such a cynical we're consulting people to get good recipes and we're contract brewing and their names are like well the initial names were Bondi Blonde and Hop Dog Hop whatever so just like so generic and so lazy I know there's already a brewery with Bondi Blonde, so they've already changed that. And there's a brewery called Hop Dog, so they've changed those names already. So already it shows they didn't even Google the names they're doing. Um, yeah, I, I but hate when we went um, to the one on South Bank, Hop House, um, in the Oktoberfest period, the crowds that we saw mm. would lap that up. You know yeah, what I mean? definitely, so definitely. I don't know if it's like terrible move business-wise for them. Yeah, yeah, but it does stink though. Yeah, yeah I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm wary of those kind of cynical moves. Um, that's pretty much it for my news. I've got another piece of news, but I reckon we should do that on the main segment because it involves Ooh, you in some way, Michael. Okay. Uh, okay. Cool. Hey, right. everyone, send us news, all right? <laughs> Especially from outside of Melbourne. Yeah, great. Welcome back, everyone. Dave, Welcome back, mate. Unbeknownst to our listeners, you demolished a salad in that last segment. Hopefully unbeknownst. I think I had <laughs> one or two forkfuls very cleverly on, like while the chat was going, yep. and the rest of it went down in yep. the break. It was awesome. It was pretty impressive. Um, no was, one was impressed by that. No. I also want to give uh, a shout-out to the Still wine. Still single, too. Weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to give a shout-out to the wine that we're drinking, because uh, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, yeah Michael, what's your take? You're, you're keen on learning about some Australian yeah, wine. Yeah, well, yeah, Australian wine in general has a good reputation in the States, uh, especially some of the more natural stuff, which I think are Americans are becoming more keen to than ever before. Mm. Um, this being an orange wine is new in my experience. Uh, a friend of mine, Matt Canning at Hotel Vermont, um, is really keen on these kind of wines. Mm. And so when I go to visit him, he's often bringing, you know, ordering them at dinner and sharing them with me. And, um, so it's kind of a new profile for me. I've only had yep. five or six of them maybe, yeah. uh, but I've always been really intrigued by them. So this is the Patrick Sullivan Haggis. Uh, and he seems to be, from my limited understanding, I'm probably in the same boat as you, um, 
a kind of up and coming star in the natural wine world and uh, he's in Victoria somewhere and this is just beautiful um, yeah because you've had a couple of different ones from him haven't you yeah I guess by happenstance you know seeing it on a menu and going oh I've tried one let's try another and they're all really interesting this is kind of spicy really light on the palate um, yeah. I kind of get a cucumber note from it as well that I, I didn't could see that yeah pick yeah. up before it's got a good fermentation character and uh, yeah it's just it's really unique hmm hmm um, so let me ask you a question. When you uh, identified that you'd seen him before and you got him again, what did you recognize? So I'm looking at the label and I'm thinking that whatever other one probably didn't look similar, right? Hmm. No, the label was quite different. Uh, I think I recognized the name and then I Googled right. it. Or okay. someone said, oh, that Where did you see the name? he's famous for doing haggis. Um, and that kind of rem- we remember that. I don't it's even it's see presented name, visually so. almost like a, an American craft beer in the way that it's illustrated. It really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the brand uh, is so forward. Kind of remind me of um, Garage Project here. I don't know if you've seen any of the Garage Project yeah, beers, but they have those, um, you know, hand drawn quite often things. Yep, I'm going to grab a quick photo of it. Cool, while I'm do it. Of it. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Cool. Talking. Let's talk. Let's go back to beer. Can do. And uh, the last coffee, wine, and water on the table. Let's talk some beer. <laughs> <huh? Yeah. laughs> the last thing on my, my news was actually um, about Goose Island having a, a recall. Uh, and Michael, you've done a, a bit of work for them. Yeah, quite uh, a bit. Quite recently, yep. uh, you made a documentary. Was that right? Yeah, I helped them make a documentary. Yep. Uh, I was creative director on the project. There were five of us total. Cool. Um, the person who ultimately is responsible for putting together the final film is Ken Hunnameter, in-house. Uh, he's an in-house talent they've had for years. It's been making videos for them, this, but this is by far the most ambitious project for anybody on the team. Cool. Yeah. Um, and they, so they have their um, Bourbon County. Bourbon County brand stout. We just call it BCS or B- Bourbon County. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then two of those have been recalled, uh, just announced today, I think. Yeah. Um, there was kind of rumors around, you know, various beer forums the last week or so that there was an infection or some, some issue. And Yeah, you know, I saw mostly it. notes about the coffee, the yeah. Bourbon County coffee, which is a cold brew blended coffee version of the Bourbon County Stout. Yeah. Yep. And um, yeah, so they've come out and said there's a, an issue with the flavor profile. They didn't say what it was. They probably don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And they're offering refunds for everyone. Good though, huh? Sorry? It's great. Yeah, yeah, I think it's awesome. Mm. Um, what sort of an undertaking do you think that would be? You know the size of the brewery. That's probably pretty massive, right? Yeah, I mean, they sell, they sell quite a bit of it at this point. It's a large program. They've been at it for 15 or so years and it's grown every year. Mm. Um, in the last few years, it's grown substantially. And it's a national product at this point. Uh, it used to be kind of released only locally or regionally. And then uh, the last few years, they've put little bits of it out into you know particular yep. markets. And this year was, I think, their biggest launch ever across the country. So that's it's going to have a lot of reach. I don't mm. really understand the mechanisms by which they're going to make that possible. Yeah, I think I, that's an interesting challenge to take on. They're probably still figuring that out now, yeah, right? they are. <laughs> uh, but yeah, today was the first time I saw them publicly talk about what, they, you know, what they're interested in doing. And... Uh, I think they did use the word recall. It sounds a little bit more to me like a voluntary buyback program. If you open it and you don't like it, you think something was wrong, yep. they're happy to buy it back from you. Yeah. Because I, um, I think he mentioned in there, uh, Jared, the brewmaster, mentioned that um, some people quite like it still. And I've seen this before in some other voluntary recalls. Like I think the I think the brewery did one a little while back, yep. the, the collaboration with Three Floyds, that they, they tried really hard to communicate to people that you might actually like it, and some people do. Um, and so they're going to sell it anyway. You know, they chose to sell it anyway, mm. um, but they told people that there was something off about it. They weren't sure what. Do you know how they told people? Uh, it was a blog post. Yeah, I think they did like a press release. And yeah. um, right. in the case of the brewery one, yeah. Um, yeah, and Goose Island put out a blog post on their yeah. site. Um, so it sounds like you know, if if you open it up and you don't like what you're getting for whatever reason, you can get your money back. And the barley wine is included in that. Yeah, that was yeah. the one that I guess surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, coffee being sort of a. It's not an aseptic ingredient, you know. It's a cold brew blended product mm. that goes into the bottling, and uh, sometimes things can happy happen with coffee, you mm. know. And so that one doesn't shock me, although I'm, you know, I'm certainly surprised there was any trouble. But the barley wine, I, I'm very curious to just to learn more about that when I get home. It definitely goes to show how much, um, I guess, how easy it is for something to go wrong in the process. You know, they've got a lot of checks and balances um, compared to a lot of smaller breweries, yeah. and. You know, uh, still happens though, huh? Yeah, it still yeah. happens. And yeah. it's, good, it's good they've tackled it We're head on. We're talking about a beer that's more akin to a living product, you know, yeah. a, a natural product than a more of a manufactured kind of beer. You know, it's not a, it's not just a basic lager that's got screwed up in production. Like this is a thing that's been in barrels for over a year and blended. Mm. And um, yeah, those are even with the the fifteen or so years they have of essentially a lab and analysis program, mm. um, things can still get away from them. They mm. actually have bottles going back years and years and years that they continue to test to see what happens in those bottles so that they can learn about the microbial layers in there. Um, well, so it doesn't surprise me that they jumped on this pretty quickly. With coffee, um, 
you know, a lot of people will say they get a lot of green pepper or jalapeno from coffee after a, a couple of years. Mm. Um, hmm. It must depend on the coffee, I suppose. Yeah, and, I think and the I way it's um, used, like the way it's brewed, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you get that less when it's the cold brew. Sort yeah, of thing. absolutely. When they use the yeah. beans, though, that's when if you start you're doing that, that like yeah. the grounds in the boil. Yeah. You know, like Lagunitas makes mm. their cappuccino stout, and that thing just boils for a couple of hours. That just sounds like the worst thing you could do that's to coffee. Such a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, people love that beer, though. Uh, I've never had a problem with it, but it's just never fit the profile of what I want from a coffee beer. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the cold brew blending yeah. is. I actually find that the roast falls off pretty quickly after yeah. about a year. Yeah. Uh, and then as time goes on, it gets a lot more jammy and fruity, depending yeah. on the coffee profile, of course. We had um, Alsmith coffee, Vietnamese one on this show recently, and that mm-hmm. was over a year old, and it was, it was lovely. Delicious. Yeah, yeah, I love that beer. Yeah. So would Goose Island be somewhat of a local brewery to you then, being a Chicago native? Was oh, that, yeah. That yeah. was uh, when I first moved to Chicago about a decade ago. Yep. Um, I think they were actually the only local craft brewery there was. Shortly after, within a year or so, uh, Metropolitan and all lager brewery opened up and then Half Acre opened up yeah, cool. um, in quick succession. And how many are there now in Chicago? Do you how think? many breweries? Yeah. Uh, fuck if I know. <laughs> <laughs> give, us think, a, give us an estimate. Uh, I think the last estimate I heard was 70. Uh, that might have included Chicago land, so some of the suburbs as well. Yep. Um, but that's still a pretty hefty number. Yeah, yeah, For a long either. time we were, I always describe, everybody would tell me, like, I've heard there's so many breweries and, you know, it's true there are that many breweries, but... Um, we were sort of a city of nanobreweries for a while. Chicago's yeah. notorious for being a very difficult city to start any business in, let alone a big manufacturing business like a brewery. A lot of red tape, a lot of you know palms that have to be greased, uh, things like that to get up and running. So a lot of people were opening up very, very tino, tiny breweries, like Pipeworks, for example. They were running on a psycho brew system. Um, and some of those have grown up now. Some of them are still kind of small, but that tends to be the startup kind of culture we have. But recently we've had a few more, I guess, more ambitious production breweries trying to open up and... Uh, so I'm excited about that layer coming in now. Yeah, we're, cool. we're really producing some volume at this point. Yeah. Um, how many people live in Chicago? Oops. Jeez, that, that's going to differ again between metro and uh, and the surrounding areas. But I would I would guess seven million plus. Okay. Yeah. So seventy breweries, seven million people. Oh yeah, we got a lot more breweries we can open. Yeah. Yeah, quite a bit. But we're also the most heavily distributed to market in the country. Uh, from breweries outside of Chicago. Um, like we have more beers on our shelves than any other city in the country, I believe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And why is that, do you think? We're in the middle of the country. I think yep. that's a big part of it. Oh, Logistically, right. yeah. we've always been positioned really well, whether it's railroads or airplanes. Like mm. Everything always comes to Chicago somehow. Yeah. Um, even historically with like slaughterhouses, you know, like everybody sent their animals to us and we cut them to bits and ate them and sent them back out onto, rail- onto the railroad. So, uh, so we've always been thought of that way. We're in the middle of the country and we're the third biggest city. So it's a huge population and we're very much a culinary city. We have some of the best restaurants in the country and mm. we've had a great reputation for culinary for a long time. Um, you've been in Melbourne a few days now. Yeah, about a week. Um, what are the sort of things that strike you about Melbourne? You've said a couple off mic, but yeah. uh, on mic, what, what are some of the... Uh, obviously, coffee is uh, that the reputation for coffee seems to precede you, um, and I would say that you certainly live up to it. It's probably one of the more mature coffee uh, industries I've seen on the planet. Uh, I've been really happy about that. Uh, Patricia was the place that I went to the yeah, other day that just blew me away with how beautiful yeah. that was, mm. and the service there was just like some of the friendliest and most hospitable, and and the coffees were lovely. Dave, you're nodding your head. You're a fan of Patricia. Yeah, absolutely. It's great there. Um, It's just bare bones as well. It's fantastic. It's actually one of the more Americanized coffee roasters I've seen where it's just like you walk in, you stand up, you drink your coffee, and there's not really, you know, but because in the States we don't usually do... Black or white. Yeah. Yeah. We love that breakdown. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I went to um, Axel over in Hawthorne, hmm. uh, and I was really impressed with uh, sort of the holistic concept of food and beverage being presented together. You don't really do that in the States a whole lot. We don't have a lot of full cafes we have a lot yeah. of coffee shops well that's um i know it's kind of a uh, coming a bit of an export from melbourne and, and new zealand as well where people are going over to london and new york and opening mm. up a cafe naming it after a suburb in melbourne and or a street in melbourne and then yeah so yeah i think there's one called brunswick in new york which is pretty uh, uh got a really great reputation and mm. yeah it's interesting um and beer wise uh you've yeah. visited a few places and anything, yeah, quite a anything bit. stood out to you yeah, I think uh, I was really impressed, I think, with Mountain Goat, honestly. The, mm. the space is fantastic. Yeah, is. What an yeah. amazing place to drink a beer. Yeah. Uh, the beers were really quality, consistent, clean. Um, and then we've been to Moondog, which had its own sort of uh, interesting <laughs> environment. I think had I gone there first, I don't think I would have been necessarily willing to sit on the furniture. But having had a, you know, about a dozen beers in me, I, don't think I, I felt like I was in a basement in college and I was happy to be there. Yeah. Um, let's see, where else have we been in terms of uh, breweries now? 
uh, Napoleon. I went there yesterday out in the Yarra Valley. I was really impressed with a lot of the sort of more adventurous fermentation things happening behind the scenes that might come to fruition mm. soon enough. I know, yeah, chatting to the brewer, they he wanted to play with barrels and, and you sort of hinted at some off mic. So yeah. we won't give their secrets away yet, but um, <laughs> stay tuned for those guys, I think. Yeah. Even, yeah. Their, even their core range has stepped up, though. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, they had one of the better portfolios I've seen. Most people are making a Pilsner and an IPA and a Pale and things like that. Um, and some good quality beers. But they had, you know, they had a Saison. They had a, ro- a smoked Rogan beer. Mm. Um, he had, let's see, he had an ESB on. That was quite nice. Yep. Uh, just a, a, a bit of a broader range. Mm. Still fairly tame, maybe, by American standards. Um, but good and, you know, branching out a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you're here, and I, I guess you probably can't speak too publicly about it but you're here in sort of a professional role and that's kind of your core job would you say your yeah brand advisory and, and that kind of a thing yeah we actually uh we design develop and, and launch brands uh in the beer world yep. and so I'm, I'm down here working with a brewery and distillery concept that's going to be starting up in melbourne in the in the months to come cool uh, so we're very much in the strategic phase you know outlining what our what we think the market looks like and uh, how we want to approach things and communicate things, and, and trying to get our head around what the vision is. Mm. Um, so that's the stage we're in now. In the months when I, you know, when I go home, I'm going to be working with my art director, Mike Glessenberg. Uh, and we're going to be starting to visually develop that brand and, and try and communicate that. And that's going to be a really exciting exploratory phase. Uh, that's kind of the that's where the rubber really meets the road. You know, like you can you can articulate a vision all you want, but at some point you've got to actually show what it looks like. Yeah. Um, and this being brewing and distilling, we're obviously talking about a much wider range of a portfolio than you other, we otherwise would be. So I'm very, it's the first time I've had a concept like that to develop around. So I'm very, very interested when we get home to, to see how, what it takes to really wrap our arms around the entire thing uh, oh, and cool. kind of make it feel continuous without flattening it out. Yeah. You know? I yeah. Think those how did they get in touch worlds. with you? Uh, a lot of my customers actually listen to the podcast. Right. Uh, my podcast has a big in- industry sort of following. Uh, I mean, a lot of these guys are driving around all day, you know, either working as sales reps or working at breweries and things like that. And so podcasts are a fantastic format for them. This is all news to me. When I started the thing, I just wanted to talk to these people. You know, that was like my instinct. Um, but yeah, a lot, of them, a lot of them find me through the podcast or when I give presentations at industry gatherings. <clears throat> uh, this year I gave a... A talk about brand and storytelling at Brewbound, which is a major conference that works across the country in Chicago. Um, and uh, that presentation certainly put me on a, you know, quite literally and figuratively a stage for a lot of people in terms of brand and storytelling. There's a lot of folks, I've learned that a lot of breweries work, when they work with agencies, design agencies in the States, they often get very similar results. Um, people tend to have a perception of what beer is and they try and design it's all vintagey type and it's very classic looking and... Um, and designers who don't necessarily work within beer don't know, they don't really have instincts for what beer could be. Uh, and so I've, we've been very effective at being able to push outside of what people's, I guess, stereotypes are for what beer is. In America, um, with brands that are launching, are they putting more uh, initial thought and resources into their branding and marketing before they're, like, as they're launching? Um, because I think here we're seeing it's effective, but I don't think it's happening a lot, though. Mm. I would say the general trend is moving towards yes mm-hmm. more often. They're, they they realize they're entering a very competitive market now, and so more people than ever are probably taking that seriously. But there's still a good amount of people that are just rushing right into it, <laughs> you know, from the production side, and they're interested in what they want to make from a beer profile, and then they they always end up doing brand at some point. You do it now, you do it later. Um, it's always going to be a critical element of the business. But more and more, I see people taking it seriously before they even launch. Mm-hmm. Because those first few days, you don't really get another chance to make a first impression anymore. Of course, yeah. Back in the you know late '90s, early 2000s, you could kind of reinvent yourself a few times before you got it right. Uh, there was more space and patience in the market for things, but not anymore. You kind of have one chance. You don't want to screw it up. How did you start in the beer industry? Yeah, so when I started Good Beer Hunting as a just a, I mean, it started as a blog, just a really shitty Tumblr blog, really. Um, about eight or so years ago. At the time, I was a... On str- Tumblr as well. That's a Yeah. <laughs> well, I think technically WordPress first, and then Tumblr was my big upgrade. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was an innovation consultant at the time at an agency in Chicago, uh, meaning that I was helping brands like Nike and Samsung and HP like, launch new products and services into the world. And a lot of that had to do with very early on sort of opportunity definition. You know, like, what does the market look like? Where is there a need that's not being met? How can we meet that need with our existing products and technology or inventing something new? So a lot of that had to do with uh, a very in-touch kind of approach with consumers, like figuring out what their lives looked like and, you know, what they were interested in and things like that. So 
eventually having written about beer that entire time and and done that kind of work uh, for larger companies, eventually there became this sort of delta where <clears throat> my expertise in a very specific industry and then my experience with a broader approach to innovation kind of just aligned beautifully. Um, right as the market in America, I think, started to become competitive. I thought I was about three years ahead. I thought I'd be struggling just to convince people that they needed to think strategically. Um, but I had my first strategy job for a startup launch two weeks before I even quit the job. Uh, and I've never not had the phone ringing since. And so the market actually turned much faster than I would have otherwise expected. When you started out, were there, um, what were the beers that you were loving and talking about? And oh, man. are you still loving those beers now? Yeah, I think I've kind of come full circle. Uh, Cezanne was the, was the beer style that woke me up to what beer could be. Uh, and Cezanne is still what I seek out and drink today. And, and what what like were some the, of the staple Cezans when you first started? Uh, the the when you first, first started two it? was Cezanne DuPont, of course. Yeah, okay. uh, lucky me that <laughs> that was my introduction. <laughs> and um, and uh, Sans Pantalones? Yeah, Sans Pantalones. Uh, sans Culottes. Yeah, uh, it's a French Cezanne. Yeah, cool. Um, you can see I'm getting the French word for pants mixed up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, those were the first two I had, and I just I, I, that opened. I bought the URL for Good Beer Hunting on the next day on, after wow. having those. Uh, mostly as a way for me to talk to my friend about all of the saisons we were drinking after that. <laughs> we just went and bought anything on the shelf that said saison on it, and there weren't many back in the day, so we were really seeking them out. Um, yeah, so that was the thing that woke me up, I think. And, and I, for me, looking back on it now, I think what I was interested in was the fermenty kind of quality of a saison and, and the yeast character of, of those things. Most of my friends got really obsessed with IPAs and barrel-aged stouts, and I was certainly keen on those as well, but... Uh, it was really the fermentation character that's always been the part that I really enjoyed the most. And now that I have a much deeper understanding of what's happening there, that's been my window into wine and cider and lots of other fermentation-oriented products. Mm. I think it's when we're sitting here drinking a natural wine kind of as a result yeah, of that. Yeah, I'm as happy drinking this as a Saison, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Saison's yeah. <laughs> um, kind of evolved as a style um, quite rapidly recently in the States. And um, Sean from Hill Farmstead said just this week, I think, how... He's disappointed that people are doing a you know kettle soured Brett saison and calling it a saison when it's probably not so much. Yeah. Um, what's your take on that? How do you think that's evolved? And yeah, well, I know you've discussed that with him in the past, right? Yeah. Well, it's tricky because saison has always been sort of a catch-all, mm. right? It's never really been a defined style like an IPA, perhaps. Saison has always been more of an approach mm. or an ethos to making a beer than it has been a particular style. Mm. Of course, what we know as Saison now is very much driven by the Saison DuPont yeast, mm. uh, which is in most of the Saisons that we drink, even in America. Yeah. Um, and so there's been a sort of, uh, we talk about it having evolved out, it's almost devolved as a style. Yeah. It's gotten much, much narrower, and I think that's very much the influence of the American market. Mm. Uh, we, we like things to fit into specific categories as much as we like to innovate and break out of categories. So I think we're going through... I don't know, I think of beer styles, especially something like a Saison and a bit of an accordion kind of model. Like, we're going to go really broad with it and explore it for a while, and then we're all going to agree on something and say this is what it is, and then somebody's going to say fuck that and do something yeah, yeah. else. And <laughs> I think Saison is more susceptible to a mutation than almost any other style that way. Are we going to see people, you know, building a, a brewery in the center of town and then blending barrels back and calling that a Saison like the you know, traditional Saisons? kind of were to get those characters it was yeah you'll definitely see that yeah, I mean there's um, a there's a Saison brewery in Queens New York City underneath a bridge I perfect. mean yeah <laughs> not sure I'm really interested in the wild yeast character they can get but um, uh, but actually the beers that I've had from them have been quite nice and what, there's, so there's sort of like an urban farmhouse kind of movement happening across America right now in general there was one um, beer out of the states I think Rising Tide and they okay. put out a um, they called it a warehouse ale or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I quite enjoyed that, that yeah. too. Yeah. That's clever. So, I, yeah. I can appreciate the, the wink and the nod in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they're in Portland, Maine, yeah. I believe. Yeah. I think I've tried any of their beers, but I, I really want to based on that kind yeah, of yeah, approach. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, Kentione isn't all that much different these days, right? I mean, they're in the city. No, no. And that's, I don't think any wild yeast in the area is uh, <laughs> somewhat attractive to the Yeah, the it'll certainly be, uh, it'll be a hearty yeast one way or another yeah, if it survived. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and seeing them, and I, I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, they spraying the walls down of their new facility with the, like a yeah. bug sprayer. With, yeah. Um, you know, well, when you're work, famous so. for a particular house character, mm. I mean, losing that house character is the greatest risk to your yeah, business. exactly. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Critical. Um, so, outside of the, the U.S. scene, what do you like uh, beer-wise? What's, what's exciting you right now? Outside of the U.S.? Yeah. Huh, that's an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> um, I guess a couple that I've been following closely. I've been watching a few brands in kind of Eastern Europe as, mm -hmm. they, as they kind of get these little pockets of craft brewing. The idea is starting to spread a little bit. Um, 
Uh, I really like Cloudwater out of the UK. I think oh, yeah. he just has a beautiful approach to telling the story of his beers. Um, he's also kind of picking up the mantle of cl- you know cloudy beer isn't necessarily better beer, uh, which I think is an interesting battle to fight because um, yes, yes. uh, there's a lot of beers out there right now that look like milkshakes, and that's quite pers- you know to my personal preference, it's a bit disgusting sometimes. Mm. Sometimes it resolves well. Sometimes it's just a matter of capability. Uh, you can't do it any other way. And mm. so I'd, I've always been kind of. I've always been a little bit of a, a argumentative, I guess, when it comes to elements of craft beer that people say are de- you know, definitive of craft beer when really it's just a matter of the constraints of having no money or equipment. Um, so I think he's doing a really good job of showing people what high-quality beer can be, even if it's presented in a more clarified way, um, even though everybody around him is kind of winning points for having the, the milkiest-looking IPAs they could manage. Well, that's happening... Um you know, people have been kicking around the idea of the Vermont IPA, which yeah. is that cloudy, um, yeah. heady topper style thing. Yeah, uh, but even some of those, there's quite a range between you know something cloudy and yeasty and something that's just opaque, yeah. you know, and just looks like milk. Um, that's yeah, that's a bit disgusting to me personally, but that's fine. It's interesting because I, I don't think I give too much consideration to it. I guess I have seen you know the bottom of the keg pale ale you get, and it's just mm-hmm. disgustingly, um, you know, badly fluctuated. Um, but I, I poured a, a Phantom for a friend of mine who's not a beer lover and just sort of said try this and he's like oh it looks really milky I'm like oh I didn't I hadn't even considered that mm. um, and I think you you kind of get to that point where you're not paying too much attention to the appearance because you know so much else going on so sure. but for you you're saying you probably still yeah like I think the, the, appearance. the appearance and the texture of a beer is critically important to how it's going to taste in the end mm. I um, certainly do marvel when I see a Beautifully clear, beautifully presented beer, and that looks fantastic. One of which was the 61 minute IPA. Oh, yeah. Um, it was very clear and it had this just ruby color due to the, um, the Syrah grapes. Yeah. It was, looked, was beautiful. So, um, let's be clear, like, yeah. I'm not necessarily lobbying for everybody to start filtering mm. their beers. Uh, Centrifuge is a great way to sort of uh, gradually clarify a beer to a certain extent, whatever works for you or whatever fits the beer. Uh, just letting it rest sometimes is yeah, a good yeah, way to, yeah. good way to give a good yeah. character. Cold crash it. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it sort of it did, it has become like a bit of a taboo word, the filtration of beers, um, which... Yeah, well, I think anytime you can point to a manufacturing capability of a larger craft brewery uh, or a larger macro brewery in some cases mm. as the opposite of what you're doing, it's a good marketing move for a lot of these tiny guys. And yeah. so it's a bit... I don't know. I find it to be a bit disingenuous, really, mm. in the end. I mean, if you want cloudy beer for a specific reason... Good on you. Mm. You know, have have some intention and deliver on that. Mm. Um, but if it's just a matter of you can't be bothered to do it any better, uh, or you can't afford to do it any better, and you're going to pick on other guys who can, eh, it just feels I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a crafty move to me. Yeah. Yep, yep. And it's the um, one of the sort of most famous double IPAs down under uh, Hop Zombie. That's filtered quite heavily, and I think he pasteurizes it as Is that well. Right? Um, yeah. I heard a, someone told me that, and I haven't actually ever asked him, but. Bless your support on it. It is pasteurized. Sorry? Take it as, as okay. fact. <laughs> you it hit is. it here first. Yeah. Um, but like, and that has so much character, you know, people That's say, great. oh, it's we don't filter to keep the hop character in and all that, but that beer shows that, you know, when you get that fresh, it's just a punch in the face of, yeah. of American hop. Yeah, there's yeah. a variety of ways to get to the end result you want. Mm. Yeah, it's not the same for everybody. I will say another, another place outside the US that I'm really interested in is uh, Quebec in Canada. Um, the province in general has a very nice Belgian history with beer making, and I, I see them transitioning into sort of farmhouse and sour and saison and things like that. Mm. Brasserie um, uh, Dunham, which is just across the Vermont border, maybe half an hour. Actually, you can kind of drive between Hill Farmstead and Brasserie Dunham uh, as an easy day trip. Nice. Uh, it's a nice sort of combo to hit. Uh, they're making beautiful beers up there. Uh, they're surrounded by ice cider makers and orchards and vineyards and things like that, which I think has a really quality effect on the, the kinds of ideas, but also the production of the beers that they're making. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Now you've got a um, so Good Bear Hunting now has a, a crew that you mentioned earlier um, mm-hmm. in a studio. Um, you mentioned you sort of got glassware that, that you're now selling, and <laughs> how, how's that all sort of come about? And um, like, is there sort of management involved in the studio and the glassware and stuff? Is that like a, an ed- extra dimension that you weren't ready for? Or yeah, well, uh, the stuff that we sell on the site has grown incrementally um, as we've had the time and capability to produce those things. Um, some of it's just merch, t-shirts, and, and some you know, some pretty glasses. Other things are products that we've de- we've developed from scratch, like our beer peen uh, bronze cast uh, hammer bottle opener kind of thing. Yep. 
all of those sales support like go directly into paying writers and photographers around the world to write the stories that they want to write things that they otherwise couldn't publish elsewhere because of you know maybe the angle isn't as flashy or clickbaity as it might otherwise need to be for other sites or you know I can give them 3,000 words and 30 photos uh, I'm not so I'm not concerned about length yeah. um, I, I feel like people are gonna read according to their interest regardless um, so I kind of give them a much broader space to play in to tell the stories that they think are compelling uh, and all those sales support that directly. We're ad-free. We don't do sponsored content. Um, we don't have any, you know, sponsors in any real direct way. And so, that's that's what that's about for us: is incrementally adding new products and things that we think are interesting or cool. And I think we're going to do a lot more in 2016 as the team has gotten bigger. Uh, but we do it in order to. It's a means to an end for us, um, in order to support the editorial side. Yeah, cool. And are you happy with how the editorial side's grown? You know, getting all the. the yeah, the for sure. So. Bringing on new writers in the past year and a half was really, uh, it was interesting to me because for so long, Good Beer Hunting was synonymous with me as an individual. Um, people knew me as Good Beer Hunting, and to some extent, that's still the case because of the podcast and things, but um, for a while, I started rec- realizing that people were talking about GBH as a brand or as a, a we. They kept emailing and saying, you guys are great, and I'm like, who, who is you guys? Like, it's just me here, you know? Um, but that sort of loosened me up to think about it in a different way that I hadn't done previously and started I experimented with the idea of having another writer. His name was Kyle Kostronik. He lived in Ohio, and he was really keen. He just emailed me, showed me his portfolio, great photographer, really good writer, and asked if he could write an article about Ohio. And he did so in such a compelling way with such a unique voice. And quite frankly, I think he was a better technical writer than I am. Um, that really loosened me up to think like, oh, shit, there are some unicorns out there that could take beautiful photos and write great stories, and they really pay attention. Um, so that kind of loosened me up to bring other people in on that. And so we've done that systematically. Whereabouts globally are your contributors at the moment so i'm based in chicago kyle's in ohio um i've got Corey smith in new york city he lives in brooklyn austin ray is in atlanta georgia and he's actually taking on more of an editor-in-chief role at this point um mike sardina is the president of the san diego brewers guild and works at society brewing he kind of takes california for me jeff allworth is uh he specializes in cider but he's a beer expert as well he's been writing up out of portland oregon and then I've got Matthew Curtis out of London, and then Tobias Goth out of Stockholm. Uh, that's sort of the core team right now. We've got a few other people that do it once in a while, but we're looking to ramp them up in 2016. Very cool. How hard was it to let go of you as the brand? And Say it again? How hard was it to let go of you as uh, the brand? And- yeah, it was interesting. I can't say I like all of it. <laughs> Certainly the kind of guy that, I mean, I created this thing. I like having control of its expression. But there's another side of me that really, really loves having built a platform that other people are taking and running with. I mean, some of the people that are writing for me, uh, they're much younger than me. I'm 37 at this point. You know, some of them are in their late 20s, and they got into beer because of good beer hunting. That was their conduit or their cool. way of discovering what beer could be. And so to have them as excited as they are to write for good beer hunting, like they, they just wouldn't write for anybody else. They want to they do this. And so it's really, uh, I guess, I'm interested in the legacy of that and how that plays out. To see an entire generation of people kind of looking at beer through the lens of good beer hunting now and then making it their own. And there's certainly a point of pride in that. I'm really happy to have built something worthy of their interest and then something that they are interested in building on top of themselves. I guess the extension of that is uh, when you're you know, out in Australia working um, for the beer industry or yeah. in the beer industry, do you have a moment where you sit there and go, wow, I've, you know, this is great. It's a bit crazy sometimes to stop and look at it all. I mean, it's grown so incrementally. It's a bit like boiling a frog, right? Like you don't you don't notice that you're getting cooked. Um, it's so slow and incremental. And so once in a while, when I stop back and look at what good beer hunting's become, I'm sort of surprised that it exists at all. Uh, mm. There aren't really a lot of analogs in other industries for something like good beer hunting. Mm. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm quite surprised by it. I'm continuously excited that people want to work with us uh, and they want to do new things and they see us as the way to help the, you know do those things. I don't know. It's a bit of an anomaly. And so sometimes I'm often perplexed by it, yeah. but excited that I get to be, you know, I get to push it. But I guess the other good thing about it is that you can come out here to uh, undertake a different uh, venture altogether. Yeah, I'm in goddamn Melbourne. And the machine's still running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the machine is yeah. still running. That's yeah. right. Yeah. In fact, they're usually yelling at me for slowing it down. Which has <laughs> <laughs> been the new complication. I am the bottleneck and I'm trying very hard to get out of the way. Um, you mentioned people you know sort of being inspired by what you've done and, and wanting to work with you uh, I know the name Good Beer Hunting has some echoes to Michael Jackson Beer Hunter was that in your was, mind when you started or was it a coincidence I did not know he exists you got to remember I bought this URL the day after I had my first saison so right. it's not like I was reading Michael Jackson books um, 
I was actually quite surprised when I found out that there was a famous guy, first of all, named Michael Jackson, who wrote about beer, but also known as the Beer Hunter. Yeah. Uh, so that was just sort of an interesting coincidence. Um, and then also, also there's the pun of Goodwill Hunting, you know, the, the oh, yeah. famous American movie. So all of these things are just sort of like coincidental in some way. Honestly, the reason why we bought the URL, I bought the URL Good Beer Hunting is because I had pictures of me and my friend Doug, who I tried to get to do the blog with me from day one, of us holding those big orange plastic guns from the Big Buck Hunter video game. And I was, these were the only pictures I had on my phone at the time. And I was like, oh, I can make these blog photos. It's the only picture I have of me and Doug that look alike. <laughs> and so I just thought it was, you know, better than deer hunting was beer hunting. And so it just kind of it happened in a stupid thought of a moment. <laughs> and now it's gone on to represent so many bizarre things in beer. Fortuitous, I guess. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, the, the irony is that uh, when I showed him the URL and I showed him the blog, he's like, oh, I don't like blogs. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so it immediately became a personal project at that point. <laughs> and that touches on something that... Um, I think bloggers run into quite a lot is there is a stigma around blogging of mm. you know and 90% of blogs are pretty unprofessional and, and sure pretty average um, but that that carries on to you know genuinely good bloggers who um, and I, I find it as well you know if I'm pitching to a magazine and the only work I've done recently is as a blogger you kind of get that mm. stigma attached um, yeah I, I completely sympathize with that um, I think for a long time good beer hunting absolutely absolutely was a blog it was very amateur even though you know i incrementally tried to make it better and better i was inspired more by design and fashion websites that i followed uh, as a designer than i was beer blogs i didn't really know how bad beer blogs looked until somebody was like your blog is so amazing and i was like are you kidding like there has to be dozens of these and there just weren't at the time uh, and there still aren't very many um but i'm excited to see more so i don't know i and as it transitioned more into a business and now we're a business that happened that has a blog I think the presentation of our work and the amount of production value and time that we put into it and quite frankly the expense of travel and paying photographers and writers is um, I'm excited now to see people thinking of us uh, equal to in some ways places like Beer Advocate Magazine, Draft Magazine. We're often compared to magazines more than we are blogs. And I think that's, that's certainly flattering but I think it's also representative of the work that we're doing at this point. I, I don't think that's a false comparison. Um, so, I'm, I'm, so when somebody calls it a blog Depending on what I think their intent is, I'm either I, I either just sort of nod and move on, or I ask them why do you call it a blog? Yeah. Um, because it's very different than something that you just spend 20 minutes on every morning. And I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, here in Australia, Crafty Pint gets referred to as a blog. Does um, it? Still in some. I've never some, thought of it that way. Yep. Um, and that's very much kind of the news resource in Australia. Number one, um, I would have thought. Yeah. It does probably a lot more news and, and good news than you know beer magazines tend to do, and more frequent. So. Yeah, it's interesting that line between blog and and news website is, is quite blurred or, or magazine. It's quite a subtle well. difference for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Like you would never call a newspaper that's online a blog. No. But then they hire bloggers and then they say we've got yeah, a blog. Fair enough. So get <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I think the part where I, the, when I dislike it most is when I'm being pitched by PR companies who just want to, you know, like, oh, you can blog about this or this is a great story. You can copy and paste it. And it's like, have you ever seen the site? What would ever, why would it ever occur to you that this would be interesting yep. to anyone yeah um that's when i realized that there are people out there that still look at it like a blog because it's online well and that's when you realize that a lot of pr companies are just mass oh yeah spamming people and it's certainly not something i would take personally no they have no <laughs> idea who we are they can't even remember we emailed them it's like a, they're just yeah they're a fish they're a fisher looking for a hook mm. that's all that is mm. yeah um photo photography is, is something you mentioned and mentioned um you know, fashion magazines and stuff you took influence from and, you know, you, you carry your camera around everywhere, I've mm -hmm. noticed. Um, do you think that's kind of helped set you apart as well, was having sort of... Well I think that was the photos? most distinctive part of GBH uh, in the very beginning and still in some regards. Uh, I think we have other things that set us apart as well now, but photography has probably been the biggest difference for us. People, when people think of us, they think of the photos mm. and they recognize the aesthetic and, and, and the look of it. Um, and I think it showed people part of the beer world that they hadn't seen before. Mm. Uh, we were... We weren't about, you know, sort of clever headlines or, you know, weird little angles on niche kind of stories or anything like that. We were showing... What's that? Listicles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. Uh, we were known for just dumping 30 beautiful photos on somebody that just showed you the entire world of a brewery and the people behind it and doing it in a very personal and beautiful way. But that does make a lot of sense because um, blogs that I've noticed, particularly Australian ones that don't do their own photography... They all, if they do a story on a similar bar, brewery, venue, it's the same three photos from Google Images yeah. that on, a, on all their posts. So. Yeah. yeah, and we, we made a decision early on, or at least I did, that 
news wasn't something I was necessarily interested in. I was always interested in Stories, perspective. Yeah. And that takes time, and, and, and it takes a very sympathetic and sort of slow eye, I think, to collect, to really figure out what a person or an operation is really about, at least the kind of breweries that we like to write about. Um, what have you learned? What's the, the big lesson that you've learned over the last few years? Hmm, that's interesting. I've l- certainly learned that the industry is more diverse than anybody could ever expect it to be. We tend to think of craft beer as one thing, um, but the more and more there are, I mean, more than 4,000 in the U.S. now, the more you start to realize that there are just fundamentally different approaches to what beer should be uh, or why, you know, what kind of a business they've started or what their goals are. Uh, so more and more I find myself gravitating towards, I guess, the, the craft brewers that have an ethos that personally aligns with my interests or what I think is uh, more progressive about beer. Mm. I'm not necessarily as interested in the sort of cookie-cutter craft beer just because you can make an IPA kind of a thing. Uh, five years ago, that might have been noteworthy, um, but now it's it's just sort of part of the noise in some ways. I think they have a, there's certainly a, there's plenty of room for everybody. That's not That's not my point. But if I'm going to spend time investing in a story and, and making it exciting and sort of tangible for people, I'm going to spend time on the ones I care about the most. Because ultimately, I think that's the... I'm asking somebody to read, you know, 2,000 words and look at 30 pictures. Like, that's a good chunk of your day. I want those to matter to you. Uh, I don't want it to just be news of another brewery opening and another collaboration beer or any of that stuff. And what does the, uh, the future hold for good beer hunting? Yeah, so the... The consultancy aspect of it is, is growing rapidly right now. That's where I'm spending most of my time. Um, we're launching a new sort of service that I call GBH Hype. Uh, and we're going to be doing some things with that in 2016. And that's going to be a bit more of a storytelling marketing service for breweries who have a, you know, they're, they're doing something interesting or they want to partner with us to do something interesting, whether it's event concepts or product development or things like that. Uh, it's a new way for us to be collaborators in the beer industry and to put a lot of new things and new ideas into the world. And so it's going to be a separate section of the website. I don't want to, I'm very adamant in not wanting to blur the line between our sort of independent, passion driven editorial uh, and this, this more sort of collaborative story development. I don't want that to accidentally appear like sponsored content. So we're working right now to design a completely separate section of the website where that stuff lives. Uh, but it's also mostly going to exist in the real world, right? These are experiences we're going to put on. We're going to get more involved in the community that way. Um, we're going to be putting products into the market with some breweries. Um, you got an so event, event coming up as well? Is that kind of where you Yeah, Uppers and Downers is kind of a great example of a, an early prototype that's kind of given us the idea for what GBH Hype can really be. Uh, that's the Uppers and Downers thing. is the yeah. Festival of Coffee Beers. Yeah, this is our second year doing it, and we're going to... I think we've already sold 400 tickets in our first week. Um, we're selling 800 total, bringing together a couple of dozen different brewers and roasters and asking them to work together in the couple of months leading up to the festival to make an experimental coffee beer outside of the sort of typical porters and stouts, uh, but we will have some of the best in the country of those represented there as well. Uh, so that's a great example of how we're, you know, we're working with Intelligentsia Coffee, uh, based in Chicago, but also famous in sort of LA. Mm. We're working with them to do a lot of those things by presenting actual case studies. So they've made dozens of beers with Goose Island and Salamoth, which is a local brewery that are all coffee beers, very experimental IPAs and golden ales and things like that. And so we're presenting them as case studies at this festival in addition to these one-off sort of experiments that happen, in addition to a multi-roaster espresso bar, which is kind of unprecedented, <laughs> in addition to an Irish coffee bar that we're presenting um, that will also feature Intelligentsia coffee. So it's a, very, it's a very elaborate and beautiful and exciting kind of thing that's going to affect the culture and production of coffee beers, and it has already in the few years that we've been doing it. Yeah. And I guess that's what we see GB, the, the mechanism for GBH hype being all about. Cool. That yeah. is a fun sounding event, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't I sleep afterwards, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, the Seven Seed slash Mountain Goat collaboration. Yeah. yeah. Seedy Goat, yeah. They used to do, it was an IPA for a couple of years, I think. Yeah, coffee IPA. Yeah. I think it always is, isn't it? Um, no, no, because the last one they did was a porter. Oh, right, okay. And I love that coffee IPA. It was a really interesting beer and, and somewhat unique. I think there's been a couple in Australia, but. Hmm. But something is not a. Stock standard coffee yeah, and yes. integration. Yeah. The last one they did was a, a porter or a stout. I was just like, oh, really? Yeah. So my, my main collaborator on Uppers and Downers is Stephen Morrissey. He was the former creative director from Intelligentsia. And now he's sort of a creative consultant within the coffee and craft world as well. Um, he was sort of the inspiration for this entire thing because like, he, we were talking about some of the best coffee beers in the world, things that Intelligentsia had worked with. And he was just like, eh, they're fine, you know, but because they were wow. treating coffee like a flavor rather than an ingredient. Mm. They were just going for sweetness and roast and chocolate rather than thinking of, like, what can I do with this beautiful, acidic, 
fruity single-origin coffee, how can I process that in the right way to express something in conjunction with a beer style that can bring to it? And treating those as a real collaboration rather than just sourcing an ingredient, mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, brewers tend to treat it like a malt you just order out of a catalog or yeah. go down and get the espresso from our local roaster and treat it like a brand collaboration. Like Those are ultimately just not that effective in producing the product that everybody would hope to get from a beautiful third wave coffee and a craft beer. And that's the, um, you know, you get a, a nice siphon or a, a filter pour over coffee and the predominant flavor for me isn't what I'd associate with coffee it's it's generally you know the acidity and the, the fruit and all that that comes with it um, rather than an espresso kind of mm. yeah. thing so kind of makes sense to use that in that alternative yep. ways yeah 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 and he, he had the pedigree within the coffee world to make a lot of the collaborations we wanted to inspire actually happen yep. I mean, he was world barista champion a few years ago before yeah, he started nice. working at Intelligentsia cool Dave do you have any uh, questions that you want to add I think we can Going to wrap up after this? Yeah, I reckon. Let's uh, take a quick break and uh, we'll get a, a recommendation from Michael and a couple from us. Fantastic. Right. Welcome back, everyone. Now, let's, uh, let's hit some recommendations. Dave, do you want to kick us off with a non-beer recommendation? Non-beer? Sure. Um, I'm going to recommend an album. From one of my favorite bands, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, I feel like you've recommended them before, Dave. I have, but I'm going to do a particular album. Uh, latest one, it's called Paper Mache Dream Balloon. Yep. Look it up. If you didn't like the recommendations of the past, stick with this. It's a purely acoustic album. If you thought it was too fuzzy, too heavy uh, last time, give us a listen. Uh, it's much gentler, but it's really fun. You can never get too fuzzy and too heavy, come on. Well, if you didn't like it, that's what yeah, I'm saying, true. yeah. <laughs> Michael, what do you got for a non-beer for non -beer. us? Non-beer. Uh, so I had dinner last night at Embla restaurant here in town. Very, very new. Um, a spin-off of Town Mouse, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is a bit more of a, a casual sort of New Zealand kind of style yeah, architecture yeah. place. Uh, beautiful small plates. Uh, I will say that as good as the food and the wine was, um, we had some orange wines there as well, as the service there was some of the best I've ever had. I can't believe it was their second night really open after, after their late launch last year. We just sat down and they read us really quickly and realized that we were just there for a good time. We were interested in trying things and they just started bringing stuff out and, and really took care of us. And uh, Justin was his name there. Just fantastic service. And I was really delighted to find something like that. Excellent. Yeah, we went there probably the second or third night open before the Christmas break and yeah. just had a wine and it was lovely. Really, yeah. really nice place. Just really obscure wine list. Yeah. yeah. And I think their house wine, or they, they did a wine with, with Patrick Sullivan, the, the wine that we're drinking now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, definitely... That, that path of interesting wines and, and really good food is... Good recommendation. Mm. What's your non-beer? Um, my non-beer... Look, it was going to be something from Motorhead, but everyone's talking about Motorhead right now, so True. let's forget that. Okay. Um, but they influenced a whole genre of music, and out of that has come um, metal band, crossover punk band, uh, death metal band, Black Breath, uh, who were probably one of the heaviest bands around um, that are in the crossover genre. If you're looking for something to really, like get you angry with solid middle riffs and breakdowns black breath they've just got a, an album out a few months ago that's awesome on that line you know what I'm sick of yeah I'm sick of hearing who are your your uh, inspirations uh, Motorhead The Grateful Dead Led Zeppelin yeah everyone was done by that <laughs> it's, give me something else that doesn't pa paint a picture to me anyway continue yeah. jeez I didn't realise I was kicking you off yeah yet. I know um yeah, so yeah, check out Black Breath. If you want something heavy or you want to get angry, check out Black Breath. And if you want to chill out, Paper Mache Dream Balloon. Perfect, perfect. Dave, give us a beer recommendation. Okay, uh, Beer of the Night on the Dogfish Head event was not a Dogfish Head beer. It was a beer that we've all appreciated in the past, tasting particularly good and fresh. Modus operandi, former tenant, Red IPA, was magnificent. Great. If you see it around, get some because it's tasting unreal at the moment. Excellent. Do we we don't get we get a little bit of their beers and keg. Well, I mean, we don't get any of the cannibals, obviously. Yeah. But um, it, I think the tap house get everything. So, but yeah. they yeah they rebranded so their packaging to, to send it wider. So yeah, um, yeah, del absolutely delicious at the moment. So do it. Awesome, Michael. What do you got? I'm going to recommend two locals that I had that were some of my cool. most memorable from the week. First, uh, Seven Cent, mm -hmm. I believe is the name. I mm -hmm. had their cucumber goza over at Ale House. Oh, uh, brand new one. Really yep. beautiful, cool. delicate cucumber is a really easy thing to overload a light beer on, and that one was just perfectly balanced. Uh, really refreshing. 
And then uh, the smoky, the Rogan beer out at uh, Napoleon, yeah. I thought was a really beautiful balance between something kind of smoky and meaty, right? It's got that little sausagey kind of flavor yeah, to yeah, it, yeah. but with a really light effervescent body that I think carried that flavor perfectly over the tongue and dissipated it. Uh, awesome. So two of the most memorable beers I've had. Cool. And as for an American beer, I'm going to give you a coffee beer. It's Yodo Con Leche from Five Rabbit Cerveceria in Chicago. All right. We went to Costa Rica this year to source the actual coffee, so we spent a, a week up in the mountains looking for different coffees and uh, with Gaslight Coffee Roasters. So it was a collaboration where the brewer and the roaster actually went all the way to Origin in order to collaborate on a b- coffee beer. And it just resolved itself beautifully. Great. That's a proper collaboration, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It sounds, uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Was yeah. it Costa Rica? I mean, Costa Rica. I'm not hating on that. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. <laughs> I find a good way. I find good reasons to get out of Chicago in the winter. I'll tell you that <laughs> <Yeah>. much. <laughs> well, that uh, makes my next recommendation slash travel thing seem pretty minor. Oh, okay. Um, you went out to Reservoir. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually uh, heading down to Tasmania uh, in a week. Cool. Um, just for holiday and maybe sniff around some breweries. And Why the hell not? But oh, didn't you mention the weekend you were going to the farm bar at Two Meter Tall was closed? Yeah. The, <laughs> one of the big reasons we wanted to go off was check out Two Meter Tall Farm Bar. They've got a lot of. Um, sour beers or the the wild mm. fermentation beers on hand pump. Lovely. Just really excited mm-hmm. to go there. And I contacted the guy and said, yeah, we're close that weekend. Ah. <laughs> we're d- going to be in city doing an event. So at least you're not coming to Melbourne to do an event. That would really Yeah, that would me. be great. That'd really <laughs> fly the old Scroogey, wouldn't it? Um, but I had the uh, Moobrew Hefeweizen last night. I don't drink much Hefeweizens, if any at all. And I don't, um, don't imagine you drink much Moobrew either, do you? No, I think really. that was part of our conversation during the last show yeah, that we yeah. did. Yeah. So I was in my local bottle shop. I was actually picking up a um, a lazy yak for a photo. Right. Uh, check out my Matilda Bay story on the blog. Um, and then I thought, oh, I want to get a four pack or something. And I grabbed a Hefeweizen and, and I, I loved it. It was nice. beautiful. Did you um, get the can? Of the lazy yak? No, no, the can of that. That wasn't there. That no. wasn't there? Okay. I am quite keen to pick so one of those fellas for people up. I guess listening that the, the Moobrew cans they've just bought out we talked about it on a previous show mm-hmm. um, they look beautiful I still haven't seen them around but no, I'm neither have I. looking forward to it it looks fun but I think I might be drinking a lot more Hefeweizens yeah. it's a style that I've never really enjoyed who, who produces them here locally I can't even think of too many off the top of my head I can't think of this no Moobrew that could be a trend eh yeah. Mountain Goat has one on tap when so I was maybe there. a venue only one yeah. I don't think there's any in there. yeah, yeah cool because they, they packaged one oh they did the um, Hopfen Weizen with yeah that was quite he- with Brooklyn yeah that was quite heavily hopped that was quite unpleasant Bridge Roads have a Hopfen oh, yep. oh, that's quite good actually um, it's pretty stylistically sound yeah um, good actually that's a pretty good version All right. that's a style I'd love to see return Chicago yeah. was sort of famous for drinking a lot of Hefeweizens in the summer, and then craft beer came around and nobody drank them anymore. Yeah. And I'd like to see them go back to some of those sort of fundamental styles. My, um, my girlfriend's a huge fan of like Van Stuffen and Schofferhofer and all those ones, so, and I've always, that, that sort of banana-y profile doesn't, I don't enjoy at all, mm. uh, but I always used to have a taste of hers and go, nope, still don't like it, but now I'm finally <laughs> like, oh, okay, now I think I kind of like it. So, so, like, I think with Fixation, for example... Hop Nation coming through. Yeah, I think that there's going to be an up spike of IPAs for us. Yep, definitely. Here. So, doesn't that reduce the chance? Do you think that Hefeweizen's going to catch on with, with all these zinging flavors going around? It yep. might take a little Boy, while. If you're for a craft brewer in Melbourne listening right now, make a half. Everybody's yeah. going to go IPA. Zig while they zag. Yeah, yeah. That's how it's done, people. Get ahead of the curve. Ale <laughs> yeah. of the time, sit it first, should we say, on the podcast. Exactly right. If you want to collaborate. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's let's wrap things up just as that cr- blender starts. Michael, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, goodbeerhunting.com. I'm all over social, at uh, goodbeerhunting. I would say the Instagram is probably the, the most compelling thing to follow. That tends to be the thing that I manage personally the most, cool. especially when I travel. Uh, I mean, we love photography, so that's a great platform for us. And um, that's often that's actually where I probably made connections with Melbournians uh, the most was over Instagram this week. Excellent. A lot of people Very reached cool. out, and turns out there's a sizable... Melbourne audience that follows Good Beer Hunting. That was really exciting to see. Awesome. So. Very cool. Dave, where can we find you on the uh, internet? Twitter and Instagram, at uh, MelbDave. Uh, I mean, if you're not looking at our Facebook page, it's facebook.com forward slash ale of a time, you're missing a lot of content. So get your eyeballs Hang there. on, don't, don't oversell it. <laughs> well, it's a big up spike. Yeah, yeah. More content than, than exactly. we used to do. <laughs> um, so check us all out. We'd love to get a uh, rating and comment on iTunes, if possible. So Definitely. Oh, so important. Yeah. yeah. People don't realize how important that is. So uh, no, I, I noticed, um, as an aside, we got like one the other day, and it bumped our 
you know, iTunes uh, on the charts from like 50 to like four. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of days later, we drop back down, but yeah, it means right a lot. On. It means a lot. Help us become kings, please. <laughs> Give us the rating. We want to climb that list. Yeah. We're all about self iTunes climbing. Come on. Um, you can find me uh, at Isle of a Time on Insta and Twitter. Uh, Luke at Isle of a Time.com if you want to suggest anything for the show. Send us some emails, please. Send us some news if you are not from Melbourne and you think we are lacking in outside. I will say on my way in, you got, Isle of a Time was the most recommended person I contact to understand Australian craft beer. Awesome. I'm really yeah, glad it worked yeah. out. Great. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you. So uh, yeah, I think it's been, been a, good a good show. I enjoyed it. Um, thank you to Toe Hider as well for our theme music. Always appreciative of Toe Hider. Thank you to Sun Moth, where we are currently at dealing with loud noises. Um, one final thing. Uh, I've got a tasting coming up at Fox and the Corn on the 30th here in Melbourne. Uh, details aren't actually up yet, but Monday uh, there'll be a flyer and some details Keep up on the website. Keep your eyes peeled. So it'll be sour beers. Uh, it won't be the same beers as last time. It'll be fun. It'll be good fun. You'll learn something, hopefully. All right. Happy New Year, listeners. Yep. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers. mate.